This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Hey, so uh, we're beginning our summer series, and what I like to do during our summer series is to allow other people to share uh, share the, the load of, of preaching and sharing. And so uh, this summer, we're going to have people, our elders and guests, we're going to be preaching, and, and Adam is uh, first a bat. Uh, he is a clean, he's, uh, he bats 450. That's good if you know baseball. Um, and uh, he loves the Lord. I've, I don't know how long we've known each other, 20 years, something like that. And so he's got a beautiful family, and uh, his uh, father comes uh, as well. And just uh, we've just been really blessed by the whole uh, Bechtel and Danner family, and we just love them. But I'd love for us to give Adam a wonderful, warm welcome. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Mario. Thank you, guys. It's always a, an honor and a privilege to be able to speak with you. I think it's been since October since I've been up here, so I'm feeling a little rusty. I haven't done it in a while, so I might uh, have a few kinks to work up this morning. Hopefully, you'll bear with me. Um, but you know, in the uh, these summer elder sessions, we like to tackle topics that maybe don't get talked about from the pulpit often, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. I think the title screen may be up there, maybe not, but it'll be up there in a minute. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but we're going to start out this morning reading from the book of Job in chapter 38. Uh, we're going to read verses 4 through 18, so I'll give you a minute to uh, turn there if you'd like. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, um, just if that helps you at all to know. And this is, uh, if you know the story of Job, this is towards the end. This is actually God speaking to Job. So that's the voice that we'll hear here. And it says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea doors with, in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed, changed like clay under the seal, and it fe its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the, deep, the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanses of the earth? Declare if you know all this. So I really like this verse. I think it is a, a good verse to bear in mind if you're ever struggling with the sovereignty of God or knowing the scale of who God is. It is a really incredible picture of his majesty and his to use a, a religious term, his eminence, his, his overness, you know, his 
greatness. And in the story of Job, um, it almost comes as like a lightning bolt because Job has spent all this time sort of in misery and wondering about his plight. And you think maybe God's going to come in and say, hey, it's okay. You've always been this good guy. You know, I'll take care of you. And what does God do? He comes in and says, do you know who you're talking to? And so I'd like to keep that in mind as we talk about the topic that we're going to uh, discuss this morning, because we're going to talk about creation. We're not going to talk about who's behind creation, because I think everybody gathered here has probably already made that up in their mind. You know, we all have already decided to believe that God created everything. So we don't really need to discuss that. And we're not going to talk about the mechanism of creation, because there's a lot out there about that. And if you want to explore that, I encourage you to, but we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to talk about the why of creation. And I don't know that I've ever heard that from a pulpit, and it is not a very easy question to answer. Um, it's definitely not an easy question to answer in the 20 to 30 minutes that I've got this morning. So we're not going to reach a definitive answer. I don't think that it's maybe even possible in one human lifespan to reach a total understanding of why God created everything. But we can begin to contemplate that. And I think that is a good thing to do. Because as we begin to contemplate why God chose to create the universe, create the world we live on, create us, it helps us to know our place in that creation. And since this is such a big question, it uh, opens up the door to other questions. And so there might be something I say this morning that opens a question in your mind. And uh, this isn't exactly the best forum for give and take, but I wanted to try a little experiment this morning. So there's going to be a QR code up on the screen at various places this morning. And that, uh, if you click on that, that will open up a Google form, and it'll just give you a place where you can just throw in a question if something comes to mind. If I say something and you're like, I didn't quite understand what you said there, you can just say, hey, can you be, clarify this? Um, or maybe I'll say something that doesn't necessarily sit right with you. I invite you to say, hey, I don't think you quite got this right there. Um, I would ask that you be respectful and succinct in your questions, and I can't promise that I will be able to have time to answer them this morning because, like I said, we have limited time, and these are big questions, and I do have a lot to say about this one that we're exploring this morning, but I will look at them, and there's a place for you to leave your email address, and uh, I will try to respond back to you. Uh, but like I said, this is an experiment, and we're going to see how it goes. So um, feel free to participate in our experiment this morning. So as we begin to talk about why God created the world or the universe, I want to start out by talking about some reasons why God didn't create the universe. And I don't mean that God didn't create some reasons, some things that are not the reason that he did it. These are some ways that we think we can tend to find ourselves thinking about maybe God's motives, but they're just not correct. And they can cause problems down the road if we allow them to stick in our thinking. So um, if you were a serious critic of my sermon this morning, you might say they're straw men because they're, they're going to be simplified. But I think those simple things have a way of sticking, and it's good to deal with them 
So the first one we're going to talk about is what I'm going to call uh, the sandbox understanding of creation. And I think a great example of that is this movie, the Lego movie. You'll see some pictures of there. You see, sometimes we can begin to think of God as a child playing in a sandbox who's creating this world of imaginary playthings around him. And a lot of times we won't articulate this idea, but it's sort of in our mind. And we begin to think of creation as God's uh, toy or God's puppet, and that God is just, um, you know, manipulating the strings up in heaven. And we're just here uh, experiencing the results of that and not really in any way in control of our lives. And I think there's a few ways in which this, uh, this can sort of tend to lead to two really skewed views of who God is. So if you're familiar with the um, Lego movie, there's two human characters in the movie. There's the dad who has built the Lego display that we see in the basement of the movie. And then there's the child who so desperately just wants to play and imagine and have fun with it. And a lot of times we can sort of put God into one of those two categories. So we can think of God as this really micromanaging dictator figure who is trying to create this perfect world, this ideal scenario. And once that hits, he's going to craggle it all over and nothing can ever change or grow. And that's just not really a healthy understanding of who God is. And the flip side to that is we can... Um, Imagine God as the child who's just willy-nilly, capriciously playing with our lives. And uh, this is, if we look, at, you know, as scholars look back at like the Greek gods and the Roman gods, that's kind of a lot of the way that they talked about it, as though they're just, you know, treating human beings as things that, they, as pawns on a chessboard or, or as toys in their toy box and just, just there for their pleasure and their excitement, and their comfort. And that's, again, not a healthy way to view God. It's not the way that God has revealed himself to us. You see, God did not create the world because he wanted robots. He didn't want automatons who just followed their programming. He wanted creatures who had a will of their own, who could interact with him in a real and meaningful way. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. So how do we know that this is not the correct view? Because you know, we're not obviously God. We're not looking down on the world. How do we know? Well, the easiest way to know that this isn't the right view is that we can defy God's will. We have at least two very clear instances in the Bible where like just direct commands from God, like face-to-face -face commands from God were defied. Adam and Eve, you know, don't eat of this tree. But they did it anyway. They had the ability to go against the will of God. It's not what God wanted for them. It's not how God desired things to go about. But they did it anyway because they had that freedom. So we know that they were not God's playthings. Satan is another perfect example. Created in the presence of God. He's, you know, depending on your understanding, he may be one of the right-hand guys. You know, he's like the top five people, maybe. 
goes against God. He's there in the presence. His, his entire being is constantly in the presence of God, knows him in a way that until the next life, we won't really get to experience God. And he still goes against him. You know, sometimes I've heard it taught that angels don't have free will, but obviously Satan exercised free will. He has some level of free will. It may not be the same nature of her, but he's a creation of God that went against God's will. He's not a plaything. He's not a toy. So we know that that is not the way that we should understand things. So we can set this sandbox view aside. And if we see it creeping into our minds, we can say, nope, that's not how I should understand this. The second view is what is sometimes called the cosmic clockmaker. Um, This was actually a view that was widely understood in the uh, days of the foundation of our country. A lot of the founding fathers ascribed to this view of God and his relationship to creation. And in this uh, view, God is envisioned as a a clockmaker, someone who is putting together a complicated, uh, intricate piece of equipment, and that's what creation is. There's all these tiny little pieces that he just, you know, even sometimes lovingly places in the right place and tunes and fine tunes. But when he's done, he winds it up and sets it loose and steps on to his next project. So the unhealthy view of God that this view can bring into our understanding is that God is distant and external to his creation. That once God, you know, after the seven days of creation and God rested, he said, all right, you're on your own now. So how do we know that's not the case? Well, that's a really, really easy one to answer. Also, Jesus came, he's God, and he came to be a part of his creation. He didn't, when things went afoul, He didn't just let it go and run its course. He was intimately involved through the whole process and continues to be intimately involved. Even in our lives today, we still have the interactions with God. We still know that we can trust and pray to him, that he will intervene on our behalf. We still have the promptings and the guidings of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives today. So we know that God is not a distant or external God. We know that he's not some cosmic clockmaker sitting very far away from his creation. He didn't set us on a shelf to observe the beauty of the work that he's done. He's involved and present. So there are other sort of limited understandings how we can view creation, but they tend to sort of fall into one of these two categories. And we could spend hours talking about it, but really we need to sort of switch gears now and try to dig in to how should we begin to think about it? How should we begin to contemplate the why behind creation? So to start off, I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna give you three ways of thinking about this or three elements to thinking about this. And to start off, we're going to talk, start talking about uh, Moses at the burning bush. So we're going to read from Exodus uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. And this is sort of the middle part of Moses at the burning bush. And God has already told Moses that he wants him to go to Egypt. 
And it starts off and it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am who has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. All right, what does this verse have to do with creation? It's not very clear, right? Uh, but it actually is deeply related. So if we look, focus in on verse 14, where God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's a pretty famous verse. We've probably heard this verse a lot. And if you know anything about that verse, this is where the name of God comes from. If you've ever said the word Jehovah, if you've ever said the word Yahweh, or seen it written, or if you've ever read your, your Bible and seen in the Old Testament the sort of weirdly differently printed the Lord in there, that is actually the name of God. The, uh, it says the Lord because the Hebrew scribes that went in and put vowels in, in the Old Testament manuscripts respected this name so much that they wouldn't say it out loud. They would either say Hashem, which is the name, or they would say Adonai, which is the word the Lord. That's why it says the Lord in our Old Testaments now. Every time you see that word the Lord in the Old Testament, the actual written text is what we call Yahweh now. It's our best attempt at understanding what that would have sounded like, how it would have been pronounced. It's like Yahweh. So it comes from this phrase, I am who I am. And this is a seems like a very simple phrase. And if we just leave it at that surface level, it can almost even feel dismissive. Like, how dare you ask me who I am? Like, I'm, I'm who, I am who I am. But that's not what God is saying to Moses. You see, the meaning in Hebrew has layers. So it can mean I am what I am. The actual Hebrew phrase is v'yehya yehya. That's really hard to say when you've been talking in English. <laughs> It's actually, it's Yehiyah, V'yehiyah. I said it backwards. Um, and the Yehiyah part is the verb for I am or to be. It's like the personal, the first person to be. But it can mean more than to be. It can mean I am what I am or who I am. It can mean I will be who I will be. So God is talking about who he is in the present. He's talking about who he is in the future. It could mean I am who I will to be. He's talking about his sovereignty over his own being. He can be whoever he wants to be. But it can also be, I am he who causes to be. I am he who brings into being. I am the one behind reality. And that is an extremely deep concept hidden in those five words. God is the one who causes to be. And he's saying this to Moses when Moses is asking for an introduction. Like, who are you? I am the one who causes the be. I am the one who is behind creation. And what does this reveal to us about why God created? It reveals to us that it is in his nature to create. He created the world because it is a part of him. It is who he chooses to be. He chooses to be a God who is creative. 
and brings things into being and brings about reality. God had no need for creation, but he willed it to be so. It is a part of his nature. It is a part of how he has chosen to reveal himself to us, to the angels, to those who would stand against him, to those that would follow him. It is deeply embedded in who he is, so much so that he made it his name. It's like if I, you know, if you study names in the Old Testament, they are important, right? They're not just titles. They reveal something about the character and nature of the person that they're given to. Sometimes they're even prophetic. And this is the name that God chose to reveal himself to the people that he chose to be his very own. So why did God create? Because it's a part of him. It's a part of who he is. All right, so the second understanding that we're going to begin to contemplate about this morning is one of freedom. God created the world and everyone in it to be free. So we talked about that with that sandbox ideology. In that ideology, we think of creation as toys or playthings in the hand of a supreme being, but that's not how God created the world. He created it specifically to be free of that kind of influence. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And again, the context of this verse isn't necessarily about creation, but it reveals something to us about creation. And it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Again, on the surface, not really about creation, but if we begin to think about it in this context, if we understand that part of the reason why Jesus came is to return creation back to its original order, and if part of the reason was that for freedom, Jesus returned us back to a state of freedom where we had sold ourselves into slavery, he returned us back into a state of freedom, then the original state of the world was freedom. Like we said earlier, God did not want robots. He did not want puppets or playthings or toys. He wanted to have a meaningful relationship with his creation. And the only way for that to happen was for that creation to be free and to be able to choose him willingly, choose him out of love and not out of compulsion. See, that's another aspect of God's nature, right? That's when he tells us, and the, the word tells us, that God is love. And as a loving God, he had to, he chose to, he willed to create beings who could choose something other than him because he wanted that deep and meaningful connection that comes from one that is made with free will. So that brings us to my last reason that we're going to contemplate this morning. And that's because God chose us. He chose us. He wanted beings to 
have a meaningful and deep relationship with. He wanted to be chosen, and he chose us to be those beings. Genesis tells us that God walked daily with Adam and Eve in the garden. He spent time with them. He had a personal face-to-face relationship with him. That's the picture there is a depiction of Jesus walking with Adam and Eve. Um, Just a total side note. I always find it funny that Jesus is often clothed in those pictures when Adam and Eve are not. It's just like, well, why would Jesus have clothes? But that's a total aside and a a rabbit trail. But uh, God wanted a personal relationship. So why did he create the earth? He created the earth as a place for those beings that he desired to live, to reside. He created a place for them to be free. He created a place for them to grow, to multiply. That's the command that's given, right? Not just to the animals, but to the people too. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful, not just in, like, be fruitful and multiply. If you're only talking about descendants, that gets redundant. Be fruitful as in be, grow, develop, learn, discover, create. See, he created us as imagers of him. We bear his image. And if it is in his nature to create, it is in our nature to create. He wanted people to grow and learn and create and build. And he wanted a world in which they could do that. And he wanted animals to be there that they could study and learn and relate to and could be taught by and plants there that would nourish them and that would give them materials and also teach them things, right? The whole world is an arena for God's chosen people, humanity, to grow and learn who he is, learn how to be more like him, learn how to love each other and to love him. He created the world because he wanted people in it that he could relate to, have a relationship with. I don't want to make a mistake and say that we're the sole reason for creation, because that's kind of where that thinking, when taken to its full, like if you only think about it that way, that's where it can go. And the church has often thought about humans as, sometimes you'll hear it called the capstone of creation. Like all of creation exists for us. And I don't think that's true. We're certainly a part of it, and we're an intimate part of it, and we're a very important part of it. Again, that's proven by Jesus. We messed up, and God went to extraordinary lengths to fix that that error, to correct that error. But we're not here to receive the worship, to receive the adulation. We're not here to be the center. We're here to be a part of it and to reflect that goodness and glory that comes out of creation back to God. Um, When preparing for this, I wanted to, to find some, you know, medieval or uh, Renaissance era passage that talked about uh, 
geocentrism, about the Earth being the center of the universe, because that was a huge scandal and controversy back then, and I couldn't find anything that was really worth just, you know, sharing. But that's where that thinking leads to. When we think about creation being for us, it leads to a geocentric or a human, anthropocentric view of creation. But it's a God-centric. Creation is God-centered. And if we look at the way that Eden is laid out, and we talked about this last year when I was doing um, the book by N.T. Wright about the crucifixion, the way that Eden is laid out, it's laid out as a temple. And at a temple, the God, at any temple, whether it's a Christian temple, a Jewish temple, a pagan temple, the God is at the center of that temple, right? God is at the center of creation. And the temple, like we think of temples as houses of worship, and they, like they definitely were, but they were so much more to them than that. It was a place for the followers of that deity to meet with that deity, to go and live with that deity. You know, if you think about the temples of, again, like Greek temples, temples of Zeus and, and the temples of Roman gods, the people thought that that's where they lived. Like that was their house. They could go and like Zeus would be there. Like they're, you know, they're not going to expect to just talk, tap him on the, side, the, the shoulder and be like, hey, Zeus, what's up? But they believed that's where he was, which is why it was so important to David that there was a temple in Jerusalem. We need a place where you live, where we can come to meet you, Yahweh. We want to be able to interact with you. That is what creation is supposed to be. It is a place for us to live and interact with God and to seek after God. And this is why God created it. He wanted that relationship. He wanted that depth of meaning in that relationship. So hopefully this morning I've given you some things to begin to think about this. Like I said, I'm not trying to definitively clarify your understanding on this, but I want to begin the wheels to be thinking, right? And so hopefully that also helps you better understand your place in this creation. But if you're finding yourself still struggling with that idea, remember that we don't serve a cosmic clockmaker. We don't serve a distant and external God. We serve one who is here and living with us. So I would invite you to my last slide. If you're still struggling with understanding creation and the why behind it and your place in it, I would ask, have you asked him? Have you asked God? And I would encourage you to do so because I believe he will answer you. And it may not be a clear voice from the sky. I've never heard one. But I believe he will give you an answer one way or another. And it might be, as I said many months ago in my Elijah sermon, a still small voice. But I believe he will give you an answer. So let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for your creation. I thank you for the immensity and the majesty of it that reflects the immensity and majesty of who you are. But I also thank you for the intimate closeness that exists in it, the love and devotion and care that exists in your creation and how that also reflects your deep desire for an intimate and close and caring relationship with each and every one of us. And I pray that as we leave here today, we would be constantly reminded by that, of that by your creation. As we see this world around us, 
we would be reminded of your hand in its creation, of the love and the care that you took in doing so, and the desire for us to be a part of it and to be in relationship with you, Father. I pray that as this week goes on, our devotion and care towards you would be built and grown and strengthened by your creation. In your loving name I pray, amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.